Most people know the investing world is made up of shares, property, and cash-style investments, but there are more and more alternative investments popping up that are different to these. So on today's episode, we're going to have a look at what options are out there and how they can work within your portfolio. Everything we talk about on today's podcast is general advice only because we don't know your individual personal situation. Before you act on anything we've spoken about, you should chat to your financial advisor. And if you don't have one, feel free to reach out to us. Now, on to today's show. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Wealth Collective podcast. I'm Zach Masters, and today I'm joined by Pete Pennycott from Picada. Pete, how are you going? Very good. Feeling uh, pretty fresh now. So I've uh, got a haircut, um, which is good. The feathers are feeling a little bit more uh, in check now. So I was getting a bit getting a bit woolly and out of control. So I, was, I had a full um, yeah, side part going for a while. So pretty disturbing. Yeah, there's light at the end of the tunnel now. So um, grand final week here. Have you got a tip for the grand final? Uh, so who's playing? What's What sport is this now? <laughs> Where's Hawthorne? Hawthorne should be in the grand final. Now nah, I'm sort of a um, little bit split. So, you know, two brother-in-laws, both uh, I've got a Geelong and a Richmond supporter, but I don't know. I've got a sort of a bit of a bias against Geelong, so I'm going to have to sort of go for the up the mighty tigers. I think so, yeah. I'm, um, everyone I've been speaking to is like, oh, it's a case of which team I hate the least. Yeah. <laughs> <Out of these, laughs> so. Uh, I think Australians don't like when um, someone's winning a lot, the tall poppy syndrome. And then... I don't mind that because I've been part of a tall poppy team. You wouldn't understand yeah. this, Zach. So it's, uh, I don't mind that. I think it's good for football at times because, uh, yeah, when Richmond's up and about, I think it's good for the AFL. So, um, yeah, let's go, go the Tigers. And is it Dusty will sort of win the Norm Smith as per usual, isn't it? Just become the first person to win three. I think it is. Yeah, so... he's going to surpass yeah, my, my man, Luke Hodge. So, um yeah, might be sort of reflected as one of the best grand final players ever, maybe. I don't know. Luke Hodge is still number one for me. <laughs> Very good. So what we're going to talk about on today's episode is alternative investments. So by that, we're meaning um, investments that are different to your normal stocks, property and cash. So there are more and more alternative investments popping up. Um, and on today's episode, we're going to look at what options there are out there and how they can work within your portfolio and we might get you Pete, to kick us off with what other options are out there for people to invest in and kind of narrow it down to what we'll talk about today. Yeah, it's going to be hard to narrow it down, but we'll do our best because uh, you could go into sort of multiple different um, yeah, directions with this one. So alternative investments, there's no real pure definition. So it's actually easier to define alternative investments by what they're not. Uh, and they're not traditional investments. Um and not traditional strategies of long only. So like you buy and sort of hope the the investment goes up in value. So, Hmm. you know, thinking of buying shares or fixed interest, it's not that. So what it sort of means is these are different strategies um, and, you know, includes things like hedge funds, private equity, uh, venture capital, uh, commodities, alternative credits. some forms of real estate and infrastructure would fall under the into the alternatives basket of a, a portfolio as well, depending on how, what the source of return is from those. So that's the weird thing about alternatives. You can have it like it's exposed to a traditional asset class, but it's actually the underlying strategy that makes it alternative. Yeah. And now in terms of, you mentioned like hedge funds and things like that, do you want to run people through what, what a hedge fund is for those that aren't, aren't sure? 
Yeah, so like hedge funds, I guess the the name the the hedge is to try and sort of uh, offset or sort of a um, complement uh, other forms of return or risk in your portfolio. So think about it, hedging against or hedging your bet is sort of offloading some Terminology. of the risk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of if you think of that analogy, is quite an easy one for people to wrap their heads around. But you know, they're I guess they're just a broad basket of and we're going to say that a lot, of asymmetric returns. So, you know, trying to get a little bit more return out but without taking more risk. So you're trying to sort of get that extra um, percentage point of return without taking on the extra uh, risk as well. So what it's going to be is mean it has different strategies like derivatives, short selling, so profiting off things dropping in value. And that can sort of give you a buffer because got a, lot, a large part of your portfolio which is traditionally equity or sort of long you know return and you can sort of cushion it by having you know uh, other elements that are profiting if things go the other direction um so yeah it's what you're all, all it's doing is trying to positively skew your um, return profile so yeah yeah hopefully that gives you a little bit of a um yeah it's an umbrella term and you know alternative is an umbrella term hedge funds uh, is a um umbrella term the probably the most common ones that people would see would be like your long short funds where half of the portfolio is sort of um trying to make money on the way up and the other part is sort of giving you cushioning on the way down so it's a market neutral strategy um global macro you know like we could go on and on so you know because even at the moment i'm getting ads well i know you even after we were speaking about this last night you sent me an email this morning for whiskey um, yeah, SMSS SMSS said, so, well, that's actually that company's become ASX listed, which I didn't even know. Like, I'm not a um, not a whiskey connoisseur by any stretch, but um, yeah, very weird. Either you know that company's listening into our conversations, or someone is, because it's a very <laughs> uh, targeted uh, advertisement this morning. So. Yeah, but like the the uh, I guess amount of alternative investments just growing by the day. But um, for today's episode, we'll kind of talk more about those hedge funds, alternative strategies. Yeah, well, you want, so the, you want liquid alternatives. So they're the ones that most retail investors will have access to. Um, yeah. And that's, you're generally going to, the vehicle you need to going to do that through is through a managed investment of some description. So it might be an exchange traded fund or a traditional managed investment that you can get on a platform. But I think, like, realistically, that's how most of us would gain access to these. And um, it is opening up a bit because these were really, you know, the domain of institutional and sort of, you know, larger investors, whereas now the sort of the, the you know, the curtain's been pulled back a little bit and um, we've all, we can all get a little bit more access. Yeah. So if you were looking at building a share portfolio, how much would you allocate towards these styles of alternative investments? Um, it's port- yeah, like anything, it's portfolio dependent. No two investors or their portfolios um, are, and what they need are exactly the same. So I think a good starting point is to work out because I think alternatives are misunderstood that they're high risk because people hear hedge fund and go, oh, more risk, more risk. Um, like most, mainly the opposite. When I think when used well, they actually give you lower correlation in your portfolio. So it actually smooths out returns. Uh, or that's, well, that's the aim anyway, if, if when it sort of uh, all comes together really well. So you need to understand what are your volatility? What are your return objectives? Same thing as any, adding any investment to a portfolio. What do you need? What do you want? Um, okay, out of the basket of alternatives that are available to me, which one would complement my portfolio best? Um, I don't think they, yeah, given the name, like alternatives, it would suggest 
it's highly unlikely they become the largest allocation in your portfolio. Mm. Um, unless you are just an alternative sort of dude, you know, like, and maybe you are. Um, but they're going to, yeah, I think somewhere, yeah, we don't know anyone's personal circumstances. Yeah, your starting point would be for somewhere between 5 to 15%. Um, yep. as a starting point of somewhere in that sort of band, depending on what it is um, yeah, and what your portfolio already has in it, um, that would be a good starting point. I wouldn't be jumping into um, too deep beyond that. What about you? you would you be a, I don't know, would you, are you a 100% yeah, think, hedge fund sort of um, guy? No, no, I agree with that. I think it's a, they can be used as a nice way to complement um, a portfolio rather than being looked at as the core, core part of your portfolio. Because I think, and what we'll talk about, Next is there's a few things you need to be aware of when you're looking at alternative investments. And the one for me with a lot of these is that um, you need to make sure you're checking the fund's objectives because um, potentially for some of them, you know, they might be looking to um, hit the benchmark of, uh, say, the cash rate plus 3% or something like that. So then um, if you're in good markets, um, these types of funds might tend to underperform um, and you, you need to be aware of that because some people might start to go, oh, why am I holding this? Like, this is a, um, you know, pain. It's it's underperforming constantly. Yeah, and they get rid of um, it just at the wrong time. Yeah, so you've got to be aware of why um, or what the fund's objectives are. And you can, like, look online at any of the fund sheets. Pretty much will run you through what the fund's objectives are um, and then decide because a lot of these funds potentially will... Um, some of them are underperforming good markets and then outperforming in bad. So it's, as you said before, it's there to potentially smooth out your investment returns yeah. um, as the, in your portfolio as a whole. Uh, but what else do you think people should be aware of when they're looking at alternatives? I think that's a good thing. Like, and you want to understand their target volatility. Like, generally, that's an, they'll have an explicit um, target volatility range, and that that gives you a an insight into what to expect from the portfolio. So how does that relate to equities, which might be sort of plus or minus 40%? Um, yeah. You know, by having something that's lower volatility, adding that to the mix, you know, um, that's where you've got to read beyond the label. So you might like have a something labeled something such and such alpha fund. You think, mm -hmm. oh, wow, this must just be like high octane. And it might not necessarily be the case. So uh, it might be targeting a volatility range of like plus or minus 15%. Um, so yeah, look, I think, what should you be aware of? Like, I think in, probably more important in this asset class than most, the skill of the investment manager. And that's where, when you think about where do you get return from investments, um, you know, property infrastructure, you're getting it in the form of rent, you know, um, cash turn deposit, you're getting in the form of interest. Equities, you're getting it as a share of the ownership. Hedge funds, alternative strategies, you're getting it as a result of your skill. So you, the skill of your trading strategy or the skill of your, you know, when you're sort of entering and exiting markets and what access you have to different markets. So um, you want to make sure you're picking the right manager because it's like chalk and cheese. Um, so you can have a very wide dispersion of returns. And if you get it wrong, you end up costing yourself a hell of a lot in terms of your overall return. And it hurts even more because generally speaking, these are more expensive like as a percentage, yeah. like the fees are higher. So if you're not only missing out on the return, but you're also sort of getting charged a higher fee each year, it can really erode your returns and sort of set you back quite considerably. So you want to sort of, you know, past returns are not indicative of future returns, yeah. but do your research, do your due diligence, maybe look at um, what um, research houses have said about the management team, the investment team, how long have they been together? Um, how have they demonstrated 
they've behaved over different um, you know, market periods. And the, the cool thing is if they've been around for you know, 15 years, and that's, you know, there's not a lot of them actually, but you'll see how they've to, you know, dealt with different market shocks. Yeah. Um, and we had really, the last decade's been a weird sort of distribution of returns. So you just got to sort of you know, read beyond the label and don't just jump into something because it's got a cool uh, name. Yeah, because that you know the the seduction is there. You know the uh, the global alpha whiskey um, <laughs> all profits fund or something. You might yeah. sort of lure you in initially, but um, you might want to sort of just you know make sure you're being really careful because marketing people make up the labels of these funds. You want to actually you care about what's in the engine room and delivering those returns for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would be my my probably my key sort of thing to make sure people be aware of before they're sort of launching in. No, very good. So um, I know you mentioned before the long short strategy. So short shorting is when um, they can make money from um, potentially. And I, and I fundamentally believe I don't like shorting as a yeah, but I, you know, I see it has a, a place in, uh, <laughs> in financial markets. So maybe it keeps people honest. Yeah. Um, so then, if they're making money on the downside, is how did the alternative style and alternative investments perform? Um, say during the when, when the pandemic hit initially and we had those drops were they outperforming then or were they how are they complementing portfolios at that stage well it, it, it depends and it was there was a again wide distribution of returns but um i think most of them and definitely the ones that we we were sort of uh, holding in our portfolios did insulate um from that, that initial market shock and i think that's the hard thing like as much as you can be uncorrelated in normal market conditions, generally, if there's a big market shock that was like a black swan event, they're called like where it's sort of surprised everyone except for the one person who keeps posting on their page that I told you there'd be a global pandemic. You do read their sort of content. They've been saying it every day for the last 10 years and eventually you'll be right. Um, but you are you're generally trying to sort of um, collar your return. So like make sure that your spread of, distribution of returns is going to be a little bit narrower. Um, so that's what it's done. It sort of lowered the impact on the downside. Yeah, you're giving up some on the upside as well. So you don't get those, the heady returns of all equity strategies. Um, but what it does is it, what yeah, what it did, it insulated that sort of, that initial punch in the guts that we had um, in that sort of uh, initial period. And they have also seen a, a steady increase. So you haven't necessarily given away all of your positive return. And that's what we're, you're trying to do. You want as the name suggests, alternative sources of return. Um, and you want to make sure when you're adding something, it actually is delivering increased diversification. It's not a guarantee that it, when equities go down, it goes up. It's not a like you won't get that 100% um, negative correlation. But what you will get is different forms of return and we're sort of, you know, it might be, you know, if you're allocating especially to different commodity strategies or infrastructure, they might have more defensive characteristics than what um, you know the rest of your equities portfolio because I think most people you know the traditional balanced investor has the largest allocation in their portfolio is equities yeah so I think the what you're looking to do is complement that and give yourself another path to goal yeah and I think that's yeah. the, that's the key of yeah, it's not a surefire way that you know it gives you higher returns automatically I think you know, it's still skill is required in constructing it and complementing the portfolio really well um but it's yeah i look i think you know if you know 2020 is a test case i think those that held alternatives have had a smoother ride 
than those yep. that haven't had alternatives in their portfolio, uh, for yeah. sure. And that's overall, as you said at the start, that's what a lot of the time the um, alternative investments are hoping to do is provide that um, smoother ride. Yeah, and I, like, and I think the yeah, you could say like the case for alternatives has probably never been stronger. Um, we've got problematic, um, yeah, we're just in a, a global pandemic, so like interest rates are near zero. Equity valuations, some would argue, are high. Yeah, and you know, there's different views on that, obviously. Property is looking problematic because, well, okay, how secure are tenancies? And that's on commercial and residential and sort of speaking from someone that's struggling to get their uh, property rented out. Now I can sort of speak firsthand on that one. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the economic conditions that we're facing, it's probably like the best time to put a really highly skilled manager that has a wide range of tools in their, you know, tools in their sort of toolkit that they can deploy to sort of try and get sort of uh, some return for you. So, um, yeah, look, I, look, I think they're absolutely um, warranted in a portfolio. Yeah, they're probably more applicable as your portfolio gets bigger. Um, yeah, I don't know. What about you? Like, are you sort of, are you on board with the uh, the, the business case, the use case for alternatives in a portfolio? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, as you said, that smoothing out of returns and just making sure that um, you're aware of what the fund's objectives are um, before jumping in because they are very different to just going and buying a share or um, something like that and hoping that it goes up. So this does perform a little differently. So making sure you're aware of that. But I do, I do think it adds something different to the portfolio and increases your diversification, just that bit extra, which um, can never be a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. Look, yeah, and I think so... As a starting point, if people are not don't have an advisor, they they can engage from this. It's not something where you can just sort of read Money Smart, which is generally where we send people as a starting point. Like, there's not a hell of a lot there. Um, probably your superannuation fund, because most of us have a super fund, so they have got really well resourced investment teams, and they're one of the biggest allocators to um, alternative investments and private. It's been growing equity. a lot recently. So, uh, and the future fund, they're one of the biggest allocators. So I sort of did the stats on that last night. I think they're 36% plus, you know, they've even got some other fixed interest that could possibly be classified as that. Um, yeah, so I think more and more, that might be the source for where you look and maybe sort of you know, ask your fund, send them an email and go, hey, can you tell me more about my allocation to alternatives? Like, what does that mean? Or have you got any resources that I could uh, digest to get a little bit more educated? So yeah, that might be a little bit of a, a starting point for people to get cracking and um, yeah, dig their, sink their teeth in before they make the leap with their sort of hard-earned money. Perfect. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up um, on speaking about alternative investments, unless you have anything else to add nah, in. I think we'll leave it there. We could go on for ages and ages. I might, we might try and draft up a blog that sort of, um, you know, dives a little bit deeper into these and sort of it'll be a journey uh, as we sort of go into the sort of different um, subsectors within this beautiful asset class. Perfect. Well, we'll take a little break and then we'll be back with the listener question. Thank you. And we're back. So um, this week we've got a listener question in from Heather. So Heather says, I'm a big fan of the show. I've just lodged my tax return. I got a little shock at the amount I had to pay from the income from my investment. Is there a way that I can withhold tax in the investment rather than invest than reinvest the dividends? Or is there a way to minimize my tax from the investment? So what are your thoughts with this question, Pete? Uh, well, without knowing the exact circumstance, I guess one of the sort of bugbears of... Investing is you, you think that you're not taking the income because it hasn't hit your bank account, but in essence, it's the ATO doesn't care what you've done with it. So it's sort of um, it's counted as income received regardless of if you've reinvested it or not. And I think probably 
if this is an ongoing support, uh, sense of frustration that you're going to feel with the portfolio, well, you could change the mix of underlying assets so they're less likely to generate uh, income on an annual basis. And then what you're looking for is more capital growth. So the, the beauty of capital growth, especially with directly owned assets, is you can defer that until a point that's opportune or timely for you. So you get a sort of a say in the matter of, I'm going to trigger this capital gain assume it's a capital gain so um, i'm going to trigger it now and if you held it over 12 months you're going to get a 50 percent discount tax to your marginal tax rate whereas income or a distribution that gets paid annually you're going to get taxed at your marginal tax rate um you know australian equities you might get some franking credits as well to offset that um but that's probably a good a good way to think of it that's probably how you would throttle that Otherwise, I don't know, like you could look at a different tax structure, like an investment bond that's everything's paid internally. So it doesn't impact your uh, marginal tax rate. I don't know what your marginal tax rate is. Um, I know you're a good person because you're a fan of the show, but um, oh. in terms of your financial situation, I'm sort of not really sure about so it. Um, but if you're above the corporate tax rate, it may be worth considering doing that because you don't have to um, consider it as part of your tax return. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure, like, what would you sort of be saying to... Yeah, is it useful like for some um, people to start to maybe if you're doing like say a regular savings plan that you start to put aside maybe a small portion of that for the tax that could potentially be coming each year so you have that sitting out or would you rather say that at the time the tax comes if you need to sell down a portion to, to fund the tax bill then you do that? Which way would you go about managing that side of the question? Uh, I'd be setting it aside. It's going to be hard to predict though. It's going to be very mm-hmm. hard to predict and maybe... At least then it stops that as the, or Heather said, the, the shock. It stops that a little bit of the shock value because you've planned for it a little bit. If you plan, I if guess. you just think about it, maybe. I don't know about setting the money yeah. aside or you invest less, I guess. Um, it's still going to be frustrating. I, don't, yeah. I haven't come across too many people that get really enthused about when they're paying tax um, upon lodging their return. It's just not the norm. Um, even if they've you know sold something at a significant gain, they're like they should be really happy about that. Well, it still hurts when you got to fork over the tax. But yeah, I look, I don't know. I definitely wouldn't side with selling down assets or planning to do that every year because it could be the worst time. It could be like COVID twenty twenty one or something. Yeah. Um, gosh, that'd be horrible. Um, <laughs> so it could be something like a really bad time to try and you know um, sell assets down. So yeah, you know, um, oh yeah, I would sort of restrict what you put into it. So you sort of you're not worried about it. So you're just sort of in your head going, you know what? I've invested this. I've kept money aside for it. So probably what you said the first one would be where yeah. I'd if I had to pick one. I still think they're both not great choices necessarily. I think yeah, don't yeah try and manage your tax, but don't sort of fear it completely. It means you're making money. Yeah, definitely. Very good. So I think that pretty much wraps us up for today's episode. So as always, if you've got any questions, email us at connect at Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Enjoy the long weekend and um, good luck if you're supporting any of the teams in the grand final. Go the Tigers. <laughs>